0: Full Time Out podcast, the basketball coaching podcast that brings you the best ideas from the game's brightest minds. I'm your host, John Leonzo, and today we are joined by Coach Kelly Graves, the head coach of the women's basketball team at the University of Oregon. Super excited for what he shared with us. We're taking a deep dive into ball screen offense, and there's no better coach to learn from than Coach Graves in that regard. Before we do get over to the interview, I quickly want to encourage you to check out my website, leonzobasketball.com. On the site, you're going to find a bunch of videos, PDFs, just a lot of coaching material that's all designed to help you enhance your coaching and improve your team. Again, that's leonzobasketball.com, leonzobasketball.com. Would be honored if you took a moment to go out there and check out what I have to offer. And now on to our interview with Coach Kelly Graves. The first question that I want to go ahead and dive into, uh, obviously with your team, you guys are very ball screen heavy. I think you mentioned... Uh, the other day on Twitter that you guys set about 42 per game, just kind of want to pick your brain as to how that became such a big part of your offensive philosophy.
1: Well, John, first of all, thanks for, uh, for having me on with you. I, I, I lost you there at the start. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, no somebody worries. Just, there was a, uh, somebody was clicking in, but anyway, um, yeah, you know, it really, uh, you know, the ball screen, it's kind of funny, it's, it's really popular now, a lot of teams run it, it's uh, the, you know, the basis really for, for uh, all the pro leagues, but uh, you know, it's been, it's been around for a long time, and uh, I, I remember when we first started running it, I was at Gonzaga, I was the head coach up there, and uh, I had a young, young player come into the program named Courtney Vandersloot. And those that follow basketball know who she is. She's probably right now the best point guard in the world and Mm -hmm. and was first team All-WNBA last year with Chicago Sky. And uh, anyway, I remember, uh, you know, just trying to figure out ways we could get her, uh, you know, some separation within our offense. and, uh, And John Stockton, I used him as a resource. He would work out at Gonzaga you know, pretty much every day, and so I just started picking his brain, and he was telling me some of the things that uh, that the Jazz ran, and, and it kind of took off from there. We didn't completely jump into ball screen, you know, all the time, kind of the, the ball screen motion that we run now, but uh, but we ran a lot of middle ball screens for and tried to isolate her on the, on the side as well, and um, you know, when you have a special talent like that, you know, you try to find ways to... Uh, you know, to enhance her, her abilities. And so that's uh, that's where it started back in about 2008 for me.
0: Awesome. And prior to that, how how did you guys play? Was it a similar type of open attack, more based on the dribble, or was it more of a passing-dominated game? And then did the success that you had with Courtney kind of completely alter your entire offensive philosophy? What was, what was that process like?
1: Well, it didn't completely alter. You know alter the way we play. Uh, you know I've always been an offensive coach. My teams have always been very strong offensively. Uh, before Courtney arrived at, at Gonzaga, we had obviously some really good teams there, but uh, a lot of it was based on you know a lot of pin down screens, a lot of post up action uh you know entries and and movement uh you know off the post uh, and then we played in you know a lot of high low basketball. And, uh, you know, and that's what we were doing, but she, she changed the the way we, we ran what we did. Now we, we still continue to play high low basketball. I, I was always gifted uh, or blessed with great post players and and depth in the post when I was at Gonzaga all those years. But we, uh, you know, after Courtney, we just started to change it up a little bit. Uh, but I've always been a fan of just a simple five, one middle ball screen, space the floor and let. You know, we've all, like I said, always had really good post players. So just let that post roll or find any opening, you know, some seam and, and then let the point guard uh, create. So, yeah, and we've taken it now, I think, to a, to a different level.
0: Without a doubt, I know your teams at Oregon have been very fun to watch and study and certainly execute the pick and roll really well. One of the questions I have for you, you talked about special guards like Courtney and certainly Sabrina. Uh, most recently, but also having dominant post players and lots of different coaches teach pick and roll lots of different ways. But for you, is it more about the role player getting the ball and finding that seam? Or is it more about the ball handler? And how do you kind of frame the balance slash decision making of the girl with the ball? Well, it's
1: really all of the above. I mean, you know, I think what you try to get out of a pick and roll is just an advantage. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not necessarily trying to get the the guard open for a shot for themselves or the post on the roll. Uh, You know, oftentimes it's just to create an advantage so that you get the defense scrambling a little bit. Uh, And everybody plays us differently. You know, when we play against Stanford, uh, they take the roller away. They really load up on, uh, on Ruthie. And they take that away and make, uh, and make Sabrina, whoever else is playing in the pick and roll, uh, make them make mid-range jump shots. You know, they, they sit on our shooters on the perimeter and they'll say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let you shoot twos. Uh, other teams will, you know, allow the roll and let Ruthie make twos. And then others that, that don't know us that well, uh, you know, we'll leave our shooters open. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're, uh, you, you give Sabrina, And our other guards, some snipers out on the perimeter, and we're going to find you. And I think what we do as well, if not better than anybody, is that extra pass. So we might penetrate, draw some kind of a perimeter defensive help and then we kick it out and as they rotate to that shooter we find the next one and I think we're as good as anybody at that so yeah you know it just kind of like I said you're just trying to create a, a, an advantage and put the pressure on the defense to help and and then that's when you know things start to you know start to work for us um we've become pretty adept at it you know and you mentioned Sabrina but before her we had my take to Zorla. Mm-hmm. Who was really a master of the pick and roll, you know, having come from Spain, she's, and, and played pro, you know, playing in those pro leagues, uh, from the time she was 14 on, she really became adept at, uh, uh, and, and fluent in, in the pick and roll and was really instrumental in helping Sabrina.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that you alluded to there is different teams in your league covering you guys a different way. Obviously, there's multiple ways of the guard pick and roll. When you're breaking down your offense, um, whether that's, you know, as, as a five man game or even just a two man game, are you trying to get players like very specific solutions that they're looking for against certain coverages? Or are you kind of giving them some basic principles and letting them kind of freelance out of that?
1: Well, again, both. Uh, you know, we work on. Uh, you know, let's take icing, you know, teams that ice us or, or, uh, you know, make you so you, you, you can't use a, let's say a side ball screen. We'll, we'll do a few things against that. Number one, we won't set as many, um, you know, side ball screens against those teams. Uh, you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll run a lot more in the middle of the court, let's say horns actions or just simple uh, middle ball screens. And then oftentimes re-screens is, is good for, for that. Uh, if we do get the ball to a side against a, a team that, that ices, um, you know, we'll run a lot of pitch actions. So instead of the post sprinting out to the wing to set the screen, they'll just kind of set up, just outside the elbow, what we call the slot and the guard will hit them and then either cut back door. If there's nobody on the, uh, if there's nobody in the ball side corner or they'll just rub cut over the top. Uh, there's different things we can do there. We, we also uh, will, uh, you know, and, and again, I, there's like four or five different things that we do out of out of icing action. But to then answer your question, we, uh, we'll drill that. You know, we'll, we go against our guys every day and pick and roll. We try to break it down two on two or three on three. We'll allow the guys to, uh, to trap, to ice, to hard hedge, to soft hedge, to switch. And, uh, and our players just, uh, you know, react to, to, and play out of whatever the defense has given them. And so we have, uh, specific things that we do. We drill those. Uh, but in the end, you just have to, you know kind of trust them to their own basketball instincts and uh and let them play but the the more they see different coverages uh you know the better they are at that um it took a little while for Sabrina I remember her second year we're playing at Louisville and Louisville was the first team that really just got out and trapped her hard uh, so now we have different things that we can do against teams that will will trap that ball screen and and uh, you know as we've and, and with the talent that we've had we've seen every kind of coverage mm-hmm. so our kids are pretty familiar with it and know exactly how we want to counter each action.
0: So two follow up questions I have then. Um, the first yeah. one would be, you you have a player who's new to your program. Maybe they haven't been in a lot of pick and roll in high school, but they are a talented guard. Uh, talking about a ball handler here. What are some of the base teaching points that you're trying to get her used to in order to be effective in pick-and-roll?
1: Well, I think Sabrina's a good example. You know, Sabrina did not play pick-and-roll out of high school or in high school. They were a triple-drive team, and so when she got here, she wasn't, uh, you know, very good at it, quite frankly, and uh, and thank goodness we didn't actually. She, you know, it's funny she's she's won the last three point guard of the years award. You know the Nancy Lieberman award, but we've never actually seen her as our point guard. Hmm. She's always been a combo. She she's so good in the in the pick and roll. She's so good in transition, and she's a great passer. And her assist numbers are obviously very high. But you know, Myte Kazorla really was our point guard uh, uh, when those two played together for three years, and now she's playing with the Atlanta Dream. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a a learning curve, uh, when they come in, but I'll give you three things. And this, this came from John Stockton. I think some of the, you know, the players, the struggles that they might have are number one, they come off a ball screen and it's one dribble and pick it up. Hmm. And, and that, that's a killer, you know, it's not good for spacing. It's not good for angles. What you're trying to get out of the pick and roll is number one, an advantage. Number two, an angle. Uh, you, you want to pick the right angle. So he's, here's the three things that I, I like to teach out of the pick and roll. Number one, okay, with the first dribble, okay, we call that a separation dribble. Okay, uh, um, actually, no, excuse me, a read dribble. So as you come off the screen, you're reading how the defense is playing. It's a hard edge, a soft edge, a, a switch, whatever. So so we call we call that just a read dribble. The second one is a separation dribble. That's the one that will get you. Let's say they're trapping. Your separation dribble might be a back dribble mm-hmm. to drag the the, the the trap away from the basket so that then you can find that next player. And then the third one is a scoring dribble, or you could call it an attack dribble. Uh, so a re-dribble, how's the defense playing? A separation dribble, okay, if it's a soft hedge, you're going to separate them from your your primary defender and the third one is that scoring dribble so you might need to take the third one for a uh, in the paint pull-up jump shot for a, a better angle to hit the post on the roll or that third dribble to draw let's say a, a help from a, per, a perimeter player so that then you can kick out to an open shooter um, so those are kind of the three things that that, that will teach but like I said a one dribble pickup. That's death. You know, of two dribbles, you may not have the right angle or be in position to make a good enough pass. So sometimes it's that third dribble. I think it's just important to be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Let it develop. Um... Wait for the screens, and that's an area I think Sabrina still has to to work on. She is a great pocket passer out of pick and roll, but sometimes she doesn't wait for the screens. And uh, so, again, be patient, wait for the screens, let the defense play you, okay? So you can see, how are they going to play me here? If you go too quickly, then a lot of that could break
0: down. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And then the flip side of that question is, for the girl actually setting the screen, um, obviously yep. I, my first question is, is she setting that screen with a certain angle in mind, or is she maybe just trying to hit a certain part of the on ball defender's body? And then how are you having her roll to the rim? Is it more of like a run out of it or more of a traditional roll? No, we run out of it.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. We, we, we don't really roll. I guess we still call it pick and roll, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, Sometimes the, the officials, if you roll, they, they think that you're shielding the defender mm-hmm. uh, from getting through, and they can oftentimes call you for a foul, an illegal screen or something. So uh, so we uh, we just pick and go. Um, um, let's see, what else was your – give me – what what was the other part of that, uh, yeah, that
0: d- question? Just kind of asking, are you asking the screener to set it at a certain oh, angle yes. or more of just make contact or what are those baseline rules?
1: Yeah, a couple of simple things. Uh, we we just want our pl- uh, the screeners back, pointing to where you want them to get open. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's a side ball screen. You know, you've you've brought the ball up the floor. It's a transition, kind of secondary secondary transition here. You reverse it to the trail post, and the trail post swings it to the opposite wing. And they follow that pass into it to just a simple wing ball screen. I think too many times that the, the, the The posts run straight toward the basketball or straight toward the defender to set the screen, and their back is still pointing to half court. Mm -hmm. I just find that's easy for that defender to slip through. So we like our, our, let's say, our trail post to take a step or two toward the basket and then angle over to the wing so it's more of a flat screen. And their backs are pointing to the elbow area. Because isn't that really kind of where you want that that guard to get uh you know to be able to attack the elbow area uh that's where a lot of good things will will happen so yeah so just a general rule have your back facing um you know the area where you want that that guard to get open uh secondly i think just a good solid base you know they're they they come down pretty hard if you're if your feet are out too wide Mm -hmm. um you know we like that x we like to cross our our chest with our arms and then uh, you know, but but stay low. Um, hold the screen. I think sometimes our kids will uh, you know they'll either slip it too quick or they, they won't just hold that screen. It just got to stay uh, in place. And then you know, I know we have taught in the past where you just kind of straddle the uh, defender's legs, so make it look like a T. If you drew a line from the the guard's defender. And then drew a line from the screeners feet to feet it'd be in a T. So I don't know yeah. if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Uh, but that's uh you no, know, those are just simple points I think that are probably pretty oh, excuse me. The garbage trucks coming through. I'm out here on my patio today. Uh, uh, but no, I think that's pretty universal. Um you know so those are some of the teaching points on that but then there's a million and one reads there's rescreen. we have our uh, our post uh, dribble handoff we have our post dribble flip there are there are different things that you can do outside of just the old traditional ball screen you know to keep the ball moving and we've gotten better and better at that so that that 42 ball screens per game number that i tweeted out those are actually screens that were used Mm -hmm. we reject about 15 to 20 percent of our ball screens and a lot of that sabrina okay she uh she uh uh, rejects a lot and then we also have about uh eight to ten dribble handoffs and or dribble flips um uh, per game as well or pitches
0: absolutely and certainly, each one of those nuances gives the defense a new set of problems, and it can be a great way—a great way to counter. Touch, yes. Touching on how those defenses play—is there a certain coverage that gives you guys the most trouble, or maybe a certain way that you are guarded that gave birth to one of those actions out of necessity?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, without you know tipping our hand, I think sure. we've gotten pretty good at uh, uh, you know at countering most of what we see. Uh, Early on, teams that switched, we'd struggle with. But when we got Ruthie, uh, when she got here, hey, go ahead and try and switch on that because we'll punish you inside. I think, but, but we're used to that. We work on that each and every day. I think switching can be effective against most teams because most teams don't have a player like Ruthie who then can punish you inside Mm -hmm. and post you up. So switching, you know, can. Um, can be effective. I, I think icing uh, has been effective. We've seen it so often now that, that our counters are, are, are so good, it doesn't really affect us. But one of the things that icing does just takes you out of your rhythm and it doesn't allow you to reverse the basketball as easily. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, If you let us get the ball to the second and then third side of the floor offensively, we're going to kick your butt and we're going to get the shot that we want. Well, icing kind of takes that away. It makes you play on the first side of the floor a little bit more. So you have to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more in tune to what you're trying to do uh, to combat that. Um, but, you know, other than that, I guess anything can 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 affect you. Let's say this year we had a guard named Mignon Moore who some teams would, uh, she was a point guard and, uh, and not a, a, a great shooter, uh, good enough, and they would, you know, it's one of those pick your poison, so they would put, let's say their post player on her. And then they would just sit that post player right in the paint. Mm -hmm. They'd never leave. And they would force her to take shots. You know, uh, Stanford employed that, um, with some effectiveness. The second time we played them at their place, it didn't matter. We still won the game. And then they, they tried the same uh, strategy in the championship game at Pac-12. And, uh, and Mignon went four or five from the three-point line. So it kind of backfired. Mm-hmm. And then it was we, we just rolled him in that game. So, uh, you know, everybody kind of has, like I said, a different approach. You just have to play with through that. And one of the things we did to counter people um, laying off Mignon uh, was that we would put her actually in the ball screen. We'd have her set the screen. So with Sabrina coming off her screen, now that post player had to then come out and mm-hmm. engage. And uh, we had some success um, with that.
0: And, again, not to tip your hand entirely, but thinking about some different creative ways like that to attack teams, was that all done, maybe implemented in-game preparation, or was that more done on the fly? Do you go into each game with a, a general idea of how you're going to guard, get guarded and, and how you're going to adjust, or do you make that up kind of in the flow of the game?
1: Well, both. Both. I think you see how it, how it's going. Uh, you know, with the Minion thing. We weren't prepared for that. I, I didn't anticipate that. That was on me. We we uh, Louisville did that against us early in the year, and they were one of the two teams that beat us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we just we just weren't ready for that. And um, you know, and then once we we saw it, then it didn't become as big an, an issue. So yeah, so we then continued to prepare uh, prepare for teams that might do that. Um, but yeah, I think it's a it's a little of both, but. By now, we've seen, you know, with a player like Sabrina, I've seen pretty much every coverage there is out there. And so we can at least anticipate what they might do. And then if we do see it, um, you know, we can uh, we can adjust in game.
0: Absolutely. And then kind of diving into practice and how you teach it. You mentioned those general teaching points, you know, for the ball handler, for the screener. When your girls come back to campus, maybe even say this summer, and you begin implementing some of this, what are some of the first activities you're going to do in practice in order to start implementing ball screen play?
1: Well, we work on it every day mm-hmm. uh, to some degree. We'll dry run it. We'll two on o. We'll set screens. We have an intricate series of uh, 3 on o where we uh, are, are running splits off a high post into, a, into a, a screen or a dribble handoff or a dribble flip. We're doing all those kind of things in practice it's part of our warm up routine um we we run some uh, some dribble handoffs continuous action uh which is a good team drill no shots involved we have some rescreen. Uh, or dribble flip with rescreens. We just do a, we do a lot of that stuff as kind of a, a fun warm-up. Um, you know, if nothing else, you're you're passing and catching and 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 dribbling and handing out. You're doing some things that within the flow. You're not just doing something stationary. Right. Um uh and then like I said, we'll we'll break down with the guys often into a two on two and three on three, let's say both ends of the floor and just uh I'll let them kind of defend it how they want and we read it and play out of it uh, we do play a lot of three on three I think it's a great way to teach the game um, and then we do a lot of shooting you know so so guards just simulating coming off a ball screen pull up Jays pull up Jays you know drive kick out and then an extra pass and just threes and and, th- and those kind of things over and over and over so uh, you know there's a reason we're the best shooting team in the country. Uh, we get a lot of shots, and they're shots that are relevant to, to what we're doing within our offense.
0: For sure, and you mentioned kind of playing two on two or three on three against the men's team. As you're coaching that drill, are you giving feedback on the fly and correcting, or are you waiting until it's done and maybe doing it on video? What does that actually look like?
1: No, nah, we don't really watch our practices on video. I, I'm not a fan of that. I got one, two, three, eight thousand coaches. Uh, you know, they can they can see what's going on. At, um, and, and, then correct if need be. Uh, you know, I think, I, I think one of the things that, uh, that young coaches, you know, I think struggle with is they feel like they got to coach every play, mm-hmm. let them figure it out. You know, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, you, you learn how to play basketball out on the playground, you learn what works, what doesn't work. Um, what, Ticks your teammates off, and that you shouldn't do. And and uh, and I think you do the same thing in three on three. You know, if you keep doing the same thing, it doesn't work. They'll adjust. We'll figure it out. Uh, you know, I think you can give them pointers and watch them, but we we don't overcoach here. And I think that's why our our team is is pretty fluid offensively. I mean, our points per possession this year was one hundred and twenty three point five points per one hundred possessions, which was over 10 points better than the second-best team in the, in America, which mm-hmm. was South Dakota. Uh, you know, the best Division One men's team was 118 points per 100 possessions, and the best NBA team, 116. So we're five points more efficient than, than any other team in the land. And, uh, and I think that just comes from we don't micromanage every possession. We don't, uh, you know, I think we teach our kids correct principles, and then we let them govern themselves and let them play. Uh, if they have questions, then you know we're there to answer. I'm not saying it's a free for all, right? I and mean, we just let them do whatever. Uh, but uh, but like I said, we we teach them how to play. We don't teach them plays.
0: I like that a lot. And then the second question I have about your two on two or three on three when when you're playing against the men's team, are they mixing up their coverages throughout the drill, yeah. or is it yeah. okay? I got gotcha. you. Very cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We allow them. They they know the five different ways you know, that will attack. So they'll either trap, they'll switch, they'll ice, they'll hard hedge or they'll soft hedge or center field, whatever, you know, you might, might call that. Gotcha. So, gotcha. um, and then we just kind of allow them Now we might, if, if one group in particular, let's say Sabrina, we know is going to get uh, trapped or they're going to really hard edge against us, uh, that, that week, then we'll, we'll have our players, you know, uh, do that uh, in our breakdown, two-on-two two or three-on-three. Three. Gotcha. And then we'll we'll attack that over and over and over. If we think that they're going to ice, then we'll do it. We also do it in the five-on-five five as we prepare. But, uh, but I think in breakdown, the more they see it, the more comfortable they are with it. They don't freak out when, oh, my gosh, look at that aggressive trap, you know.
0: Right. And then as you move from two-on-two two to three-on-three, three, eventually into five-on-five, How are you working on the other players off the ball? You'd mentioned, obviously, you have so many good shooters and they need to give the ball space so that the defense does help. You can throw a strike and get that open three. How are you teaching spacing off the ball in relation to pick and roll in a five on five type setting?
1: Oh, I think you just pay attention to it. I, I, you know, um, that's one of the things we do as well as anybody is we really space the floor. Uh, We have to, you know, we just don't have elite jets that can just get by people we have to utilize good ball screens and that kind of movement that kind of spacing to make what we do work so um yeah i think it's just something you have to focus on you know now we drill it same thing you know let's say we'll put uh, you know in a, in a drill uh you know we just call it plus one so um you know we have a manager set a, a wing ball screen you've got a, a guard in the corner on the opposite side and a guard at the wing so it's a single-sided side ball screen and we just uh, penetrate off there get into the paint and we either kick it to the corner or we kick it to the wing and then whoever catches it then makes that next pass they catch it ready to shoot and then boom they make the plus one to the other guard over there and then you just rotate spots so um you know so that again that teaches space and you can do it out of a uh uh, you you know you can start with a uh, the guard passing from the top. They hit the wing and then cut to the opposite corner. The corner lifts to the wing and you run that same action. You know however you want to do it and teach it. Uh, but I think the main thing is just be aware of it and watch it in practice.
0: Gotcha. And then another question about spacing. Let's say there's those two perimeters on the player that are ahead of the ball like you just spoke of. Are you asking them to just hold space or are they going to interchange or ever even possibly flare in or screen down or just, or do you w- would you rather them just stay spaced? Stay uh,
1: spaced, I, I think. Uh, they can interchange. We like to interchange on the weak side. They do that on their own. Uh, some of them do it. Some of them don't. I don't think it really matters. It just keeps their defense engaged. Uh, we run a lot of. If there's somebody ahead, we'll kick it ahead and run a lot of uh, pistol action mm-hmm. out of transition. That's one of the few secondary kind of looks that we that we do. Um, if if the, if the point if the, the wing is down early, we don't never want them to just stand on the at the wing. So we'll tell them to bounce off the baseline. Gotcha. You know, so run all the way to the ba- baseline. You know, touch it and then pop back yep. uh, bounce back to the wing so um yeah i don't yep. I, yep. hopefully that answers
0: yeah. your question i think that's great and then the last question and again i know i didn't send some of these to you because i'm just thinking and, and asking them oh, off yeah, the no cuff but like no um i think one common area that i sometimes see teams make the mistake of in ball screen offense is maybe you set one ball screen and you get that first advantage and then the ball starts moving and you're keeping that advantage and things are flowing, and then somebody runs into a pick and roll and brings another defender into the play when the ball screen is not necessarily needed. Do you yeah. find that happening with your team early on? And then if so, how do you kind of uh, help them decide when, when to ball screen versus when not to ball screen?
1: Well, ours is fairly patterned um, when we really get it going. So that doesn't happen all the time. Man, alive. I mean, how many times are these guys going to drive by? <laughs> Seriously. It's like the fourth one. Um, sorry. Oh, you're For great. your listeners out there, I really apologize. But the the, the sanitary workers here in uh, Eugene are, are working hard today. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean, it's just something you've got to play through. Um, but... Let's say if we were truly in our, what we call our circle, our truth ball screen motion, uh, we did it less and less this year, quite frankly. Our kids played a lot more. We set fewer ball screens, but uh, our basic motion is, is that uh, we've got, you know, our, our four, our fours can always shoot. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they're always, so basically we've got three guards on the, on the court. They all have three point capability. Uh, and so what we'll do with those, uh, uh, with those floors, anytime they set a screen, they always pop, they pick, they pop. If they don't get it, they'll dive then back to the block our five will always duck in if they're on the weak side on any ball screen. Mm -hmm. And so as they're ducking in, we're coming off a side ball screen and they duck in, if they don't get it, the balls kicked, then reverse to the other wing, then that post will release, you know, they'll first pin and seal if they can. If not, they'll just release and go out and set that, that next ball screen. So we basically keep our, our fives and our fours on opposite sides of the floor. Now, when we get rolling. That's not necessarily the case, but mm-hmm. um, but if we need some just some good solid movement, things are stagnant. We're shooting too quick in the in the uh, uh, possessions. Then we'll we'll go to that and have it pretty basic.
0: Absolutely, and you just made reference to shooting, you know, quickly sometimes, or maybe not getting the shot you necessarily want. Are you okay with you know your team coming off maybe one or two dribbles and letting a fifteen footer go off the bounce? And kind kind of talk about your approach to shot selection versus you know there's some people that are way deep into it where it's either a three or a layup uh, obviously take what you're given kind of where where do you fall within that
1: well uh, i think what uh, what you look at the warriors the best offense we've seen in the last 10 years in the nba um you know they weren't all threes and layups mm-hmm. I mean kevin durant made a lot of Mid-range pull-up jump shots, and that's what made them just as successful. I, I like the pull-up. Uh, Sabrina shot over sixty percent from on two pointers this year, and a lot of those were pull-ups, uh, you know, in the elbow area. I, I'm fine with that. I'll take sixty percent two-point percentage all day. Totally. Um, you know, the three-pointer is is obviously a, a part of what we do. It's you know, we don't shoot as many as you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we're usually around 20 to 23 a game early in the year. We were shooting too many threes and that killed us. So the analytical people might say, well, no, those are, those are good shots. And our shot profile would tell you that, yes, those were good shots, but we weren't shooting it well for the first <laughs> dozen games of the season. Right. So I thought, because I thought we were shooting the three too early, we got better at it when we, you know, our percentage went up as we, as the numbers went down, um, I think you have to have a balance. I don't think it's an either-or. I'm not totally sold on those analytics that it's either a three or a layup. Um, so I think you've got to have balance in your offense always. And then to answer your questions, yes. You don't want to if, – if it's a good shot, if they're in range, they're on balance, right, and they're open, shoot the ball.
0: Absolutely.
1: Shoot the ball. If you think too much about it, then you've got issues, you know. Um, Especially, you know, I think women play a lot better when they're confident. And if you're always questioning their shot or whatever, then they, they sometimes can lose confidence.
0: Without a doubt. And, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier that you as a coach, you don't want to overcoach. You want to stay out of the way. You want to let the players, obviously you give guidance, but you want them coaching them, you know, and learning for themselves. What does that actually look like in practice? Like how often are you giving instruction versus your assistants? And kind of what does the flow of, of your coaching look like on the floor? Well,
1: a, a couple of things. I, I, I chatter a lot in practice. I do. So I'm talking to them a lot on the fly. But here's what you'll you'll be shocked at. So it's, it's kind of a statistical anomaly. So we, were, we led the nation in scoring this year at 86 points per game. However, we were 251st. Out of 351, in pace of play, mm-hmm. so possessions per game. So we're not just a run and gun, up and down, throw it up quick. Um, you know there is we we play with a lot of patience and uh, and and we work for good shots. So uh, and that's what I think has made us so efficient. So in practice, so you look at a team that scores 86 a game, you probably think, oh, they just run and gun. Well, in practice, we never. Go more than three possessions without a stoppage in play. Hmm. So we'll go five on five in a half court. We'll transition to the other end. We'll transition back. We stop action. Now what, so, so you, you know, that sounds weird. Really? You never go, nope, we don't. We keep it under control, but here's the deal. We will not, once action starts, I don't care how egregious the problem is or the, or, uh, or whatever we did, we will play on through the end of the sequence, I don't want our kids looking over all the time and getting re, uh, you know assurance that oh that was a really good possession. I might yell it, but we want them to play. So once the sequence starts, we don't stop it as a coach. We let them play through mistakes, etc. And then after the the three possession sequence is over, okay, then we might address something if if there was uh, you know something that we we needed to touch on. So that's kind of how we've always done it and and it seems to to work pretty well for us so
0: gotcha and 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 how much of your practice when you guys are five on five is done in the full court in that three possession format versus just playing in the half court
1: yeah I'll, um you know maybe fifteen to twenty minutes of practice maybe gotcha. Uh, you know, and we're focusing obviously on our defense at that same time we We don't go up and down as much as you might think we spend a lot of time on position breakdown. we spend a lot of time shooting. You might run the best sets in the world, but if you' got kids that can't make baskets, then you're gonna have issues. Mm-hmm. so we spend a lot of time shooting and i I go to a lot of practices, both high school and college when I'm recruiting somebody uh you know I'll call one of the local colleges and I've been to top ten programs and I've been to D three schools. Uh, I've seen it all, and the one thing I, I would say generally, teams don't practice shooting enough. Yeah, it makes up for a lot of weaknesses, no doubt. So, so spend more time in, in practice shooting. We spend a lot, and uh, and not as much on full court stuff as most.
0: And how long would you practice normally? And then of that time, how much of it actually is devoted to shooting?
1: Um, man, I, I would say uh, 35 to 40 percent of our practice is shooting gotcha. uh, in some form or fashion, uh, whether, you know, some time drills that they could be stationary. I think stationary shooting has its place as long as it's timed or it's competitive in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't just let your kids get out there and just stationary shoot with, you know, mindlessly. I think there's got to be a goal. Uh, you're, you're competing against the other team or your other player or, you know, whatever the case may be, or against the time. Um, we do a lot of position breakdown, so game shots at game spots, at game speed kind of stuff. Um, and then we'll do, uh, just a lot of three player shootings. So, uh, you know, you throw a manager, a couple of balls, a couple of players, and you just, you know, they, they, they work on their game shots at game spots and they all know what those are. Um, so yeah, I would say at least 40%, most, of the, most practices. And then we go, I don't know, two, two and a half hours, you know, before games start. And then we really scale it back. By the time we get to Pac-12, if you take the stretching and all that stuff out, you know, we're, we're going an hour and 15 to 20.
0: Gotcha. So gotcha.
1: Ruthie and Sabrina don't really need to run that many pick and rolls, you know, <laughs> in practice. So, yeah, we, we keep it short, and I think our kids are fresh at the end of the year. That's, I think, been one of our MOs. Over the last several years, we play our best basketball because we're fresh um, down the stretch.
0: Absolutely. And then a couple final questions, kind of steering the conversation back into uh, just ball screen play. You had mentioned earlier that one of the biggest mistakes people make is taking one bounce off of it and picking it back up. What are some other common problems that players need to avoid uh, as they are learning pick and roll?
1: Um, I'm not using the screen. Yep. You know, uh, wait, uh, wait, or uh, I, I guess you just covered that, but I'm, I, I guess the other thing would be uh, you, you leave a big gap. You want to come off that screen shoulder to shoulder. You want to create advantage, and sometimes, you know, even Sabrina, as good as she is, sometimes she doesn't use that screen, and then she requires then a re-screen, um, you know, and you want to avoid that if you can. Uh, I think the other is, uh, like I said, the one dribble pickup. I think that, uh, or even two dribbles, you know, you create the advantage. Uh, and and I think too many people are trying to get the screener open. No, the screener just you just want to create an advantage with that, um, you know, with the ball handler. Um, and that's that's probably a, a, a about
0: it, I guess. I mean, we kind of covered everything else. Totally. So. Uh, and then one final question, and again, share here what, what what you deem appropriate. But you've you've mentioned rescreening a few times. Is that yeah. an automatic read or a call? Uh, like, how do you guys get into those rescreen situations? And again, how do you keep everyone on, on the same page to make sure the floor is spaced for that second pick and roll?
1: Well, it's it's both. I mean, it's it's you know you, you figure it out as you go along. I'll give you an example. Last year in the Elite Eight, uh, we specifically tried to rescreen tiara mcgowan over and over and over again we wanted to put her in as many ball screens as we could and so they hard hedged so every time on a ball screen she'd step out and hard hedge and then we would just reposition and screen her again and we created a ton of separation off that because she couldn't hedge on one side and then sprint back under that screen and catch the guard Mm-hmm. And so we ended up scoring on re-screens four times in the fourth quarter of a really good and close game. I think the best played game in the NCAA tournament last year um, in that Elite Eight game. So I think, you know, that was by design. But sometimes, you know, you do it because, well, the first screen wasn't effective. You really want to isolate this certain post player. Um and uh you know and, and play out of that so you know i think it's just uh um you know comes natural for some i think ruthie really likes to rescreen she's good at it uh and sabrina is is pretty good at uh at rescreen action as well
0: without a doubt and again you guys were certainly very fun to watch and the way that you play you play together you guys play with fundamentals and so I know that you're going to be missing a great group of seniors, but also have a really good group coming in next year, and uh, I certainly wish you all the best, Coach, and thanks again for your time.
1: Oh, John, I appreciate it. It was good being with you. I hope I didn't bore your audience today. I hope they they could visualize the things I was trying to, to tell you.